Imperial Media presents The Brooke Taylor Show Encounter, Adventure, Evangelize And now your host, Brooke Taylor Hello, hello, hello And welcome to the show And not just any other episode This is the season finale of The Brooke Taylor Show Thank you for the past support of this last season And we'll be back with sporadic episodes over the summer But officially on hiatus until the end of August So that means today's show is a meaty one And hopefully one that you will find as you set your sights on summer that is useful for you that you can take with you into the summer because that's the intent. We're going to build a bit of a summer toolbox, just a starter kit, really. It would be impossible to cover all the feast days and all the different ideas, but this is focused to inspire you with summer reading, particularly, and an outstanding event. Kathy Gilmore is here, and she's going to give us a scoop on the CMN conference, Momentum 21. And speaking of shows over the summer, I will be broadcasting from Chicago at the CMN at the end of July and lots of exciting movers and shakers as you'll hear Kathy talk about just remarkable things they're doing in the church. And then after Kathy, we're going to segue right into Sherry Bloomquist. She is the author of a brand new book. It's called Before Austin Comes Aesop, The Children's Great Books and How to Experience Them. But that title is a little misleading because this is not just a conversation about children's literature. We are going to talk about the best books that have made the most profound impact throughout Western history and why it matters. So, and it really is for all ages. At one point in the conversation, you'll hear us talk about how it's not uncommon for teenagers to actually not know some of the main classics like the Pied Piper or even David and Goliath. And how do we reintroduce those must-read stories because it's not too late, no matter how old we are. So really good, exciting conversation. So I'm going to do my best to fill up your inspiration tank in this season finale. And this episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Select International Tours. A pilgrimage is more than just a trip. Don't go alone. Sacred travel is an opportunity to travel with others who share your love of adventure and encounter and a zeal to draw people deeper into their faith. Father John Michael Paul and I have been partnering for pilgrimages for four years now, and whether Father is visiting a village in Cameroon or a priory in Corsica or hiking in Colombia, he brings such a unique depth of knowledge and love of the Lord on pilgrimage with us. And we always work to provide the best experience through my own years in media. It's my job to curate a second-to-none itinerary and communicate all of the details from preparing to processing on the journey itself. And our guides are the best. Join us as we travel to Oberammergau, Germany for the world-famous Passion Play next June in 2022, so about a year from now. And in fact, you can see all of our trips by visiting Select International Tour com slash BTS stands for the Brooke Taylor Show. That's selectinternationaltours.com slash BTS. Here now, my interview with Kathy Gilmore. This July 27th through the 29th, the Catholic Marketing Network Conference is happening and it's in person in Schaumburg, Illinois. So excited about that. CMN Momentum is all about gathering and equipping ministry-minded Catholics. And boy, what a place of hope that is. I will be there, and we're going to talk about that later in the conversation. And the show will be there. Here to tell us more is the spokesperson and CMN Conference Coordinator. So 
delighted to welcome Kathy Gilmore to the show. Hello, Kathy. Hi, Brooke. It's great to be with you. I'm, I'm very excited to have you here and to have you at the event. This it's mutual. And I just shared there in the intro a little snapshot of the what. What is happening? What is CMN Momentum? But tell me about the why. Why Momentum 21? CMN has actually been around for over 25 years, and we were always the place where people came to connect between the people that made or published Catholic stuff with the people who distributed and sold Catholic stuff. And that was a beautiful arrangement. But in the last five to 10 years, the whole way that happens is different. And there's basically been a groundswell of people who want to be part of that process of evangelizing the faith and they feel called, but it may look different than what the way that it was done years ago. And so you're a perfect example. The whole idea of podcasting and how it's exploded. Well, we want to bring everybody who's working in any, and who I don't want to just say working, anyone who's active in any kind of Catholic ministry to get recharged after this very difficult year. And when so many things seem like they're not going great in our culture and in our churches and all that, you can't walk into the expo hall at CMN and not have that wide-eyed feeling like, I had no idea there were this many people who were doing this many cool things in the church. And so we want people to come and be energized and get connected. There's so many stories of people in all kinds of businesses and ministries who came to CMN and then it was a launching pad for something that they didn't dream or couldn't have anticipated. And also that clue is in the title, Catholic Marketing Network, to be able to network. It's not just for wholesale exhibitors or those who are retailers, but really for those in ministry, business professionals, apostolate leaders. And that takes me to the who, which is really what you just started to answer. It really is for all ministry-minded Catholics. Correct. We and we will always have sort of the the foundation of CMN will always have that connection between the people selling wholesale stuff, you know, bulk, whatever, um, and the retailers that are so valiant out there trying to, you know, create that little home base, that reference point within their community for people to acquire all kinds of Catholic things. So that'll always be going on. But now we're layering on top of that all these other experiences for people who want to really engage in the process of evangelizing and catechizing the faith. Well, the homepage is outstanding. Uh, you have right when you log on, you have at the front and center Momentum 21. And then of course you see Guarded and Guided by St. Joseph. It says humble leader, steadfast worker and the presentations, the presenters. So right away you see who's going to be there. Father Donald Calloway, along with Father Chris Alar, both friends of the show. I saw Father Frank Pavone will be there, Danielle Bean. So these are some big names. Again, you just think about being in the company of of so many on-fire Catholics who have been faithful, who have been steadfast, and we can learn from that from one another, and I think through just the, the beautiful current of the Holy Spirit in that. So that's the fun part, too. Tell us a little bit about who's going to be there. And 
Let me tell you a little bit about the vibe before I get into the who. Um, is one of my favorite pictures that we had. It was actually a candid picture from our event two years ago when we had Abby Johnson as one of our special guests. But one of my favorite pictures is her walking around our expo hall with her stroller because she had itty bitty baby and she's walking with her stroller and there's a daughter of St. Paul photobombing the picture. (laughs) And you don't just, you know, normally if you go to an event and you hear a speaker, you know, you get spiritually nourished and it's great. But at CMN and the Expo Hall, you actually get to hang out with these people that you admire or want to know more about. And what I say is that when people come to CMN, you know how normally at a, you go to a conference and you get fed, you get fed spiritual food. But at CMN, you come and you get equipped to feed others. And to me, that is huge. And that's something that I don't think happens at any other conference. Or oh, event. It, it really is. And I think that it plants such seeds of what is possible. And we really need that to be able to dream again, because in ministry and in the missionary field, we're all in a missionary field, wherever God plants our feet, it can sometimes be lonely. And I had a great conversation with Hector Molina about that, where we really do need one another because it's not like there's too many Catholic evangelizers. I mean, we need the whole world and we need everything we've got. And so this is so important and beautiful. And I really think it opens a portal to hope and to excitement. And that, of course, just re-energizes whatever our call is, anointing for us to go out and accomplish. And for you, for your part, you're not only a coordinator, but you are a presenter for Catholic Brain. And I'm really excited about this because Catholic Brain, if I understand right, is a CMN conference partner. So this is their first national conference for DREs, for educators, for parish leaders. And I know you're doing a session on virtue of prudence, and I really want to get into that. But tell us first about Catholic Brain. Absolutely. Um, Sylvia Osong is the executive director of CMN. Masango Osong is her husband, and he is the president and CEO of Catholic Brain. Over COVID time period, Catholic Brain, it was growing before. It was this wonderful online um, resource center, it is best to say it, for families and schools and parishes to have every different kind of activity, faith formation activity for the family. And, you know, you pay a little subscription and then Uh, You get to do all these wonderful enrichment things that the child can do on their own. What's been beautiful is when people were kind of locked down and more, you know, restricted, that's when Catholic Brain was discovered by so many people. And so now what's beautiful is now they're not just going to be that, that, you know, reference point for all kinds of positive content for faith formation for children and families and schools, but they also now have the Catechetical Institute, and that is where they equip and prepare teachers and DREs. And to that point, you your session, tell us about that, is about the virtue of prudence. Yes. And so I, I'm, when I'm not wearing, when I'm not wearing my CMN hat, I am a award-winning children's author. And so I have a series of books called The Virtue Heroes. They're tiny virtue heroes. And they're these little animal and insect characters that um, exemplify a virtue and lead children to admire whoever the little animal or insect tells the story about. For example... 
I have Moshe the mouse, tells the story about his hero, Mary, at the Annunciation. I have Amal the camel, who tells the story of his hero, Baltazar, the king who um, came with the Magi to bring gifts to baby Jesus. And on and on it goes. There's a whole menagerie of them. Basically, what I'm going to do is show educators how to embrace this virtue of prudence built on these other core virtues of humility, faithfulness, and wisdom in the context of doing their work as a teacher. But I'm also going to be able to enrich it with content from my storybooks, which makes it so much more fun in the classroom. You know, we all know our kids are all plugged into all kinds of of very creative media. And if we don't respond with really creative things in the way we reach children, we're not going to get their attention. And good quality. To that end, are are your materials going to be available to purchase? Yeah. yeah. And you think we used to name our, we are used to name our girls, prudence and charity and the virtues. So somewhere that's gotten lost along the way. So I love that you're recapturing the, the explanation, the catechesis, the formation and the beauty. And so that's just one session. But, and I mentioned at the top of the show, I'll be joining in the fun. I'll be at the Select International Tours booth. So excited about that. I'll be broadcasting from there. Also, I'll be facilitating a session called The Power of Podcasting with Hector Malik with Deacon Harold Burke-Siver. So talk about fantastic company there. So overall, Kathy, what can we expect through those days in July, the 27th through the 29th at CMN? What you're going to see is on Tuesday is our businesses ministry seminar, our prayer for a renewal of the culture of life, um, mass in the afternoon with Father Pavone. We have prayer with Father Richard Heilman, another absolutely wonderful personality. But we have different sessions in the morning. And then we have some follow-up things. One of the things that's going to be really cool in the afternoon is a panel discussion with Nick De La Torre is the guest of Bill Castle. Okay, these are both podcasters, and they're talking about how to build your platform, the power of platform in an era of cancel culture. And so they're doing all kinds of things to help people understand how to protect your platform in terms of technology alternatives. So Tuesday is more that practical business side of things. And that's where a parish pastor who wants to learn how to market to bring people back to the church. Ernesto Martinez is going to focus all on the um, outreach to Hispanic uh, people um, and get them engaged. I mean, we just have such an array of really powerful things happening. And then our expo hall opens that afternoon. Then Wednesday is the expo hall. That's the focus. Everything is all about being together in the expo hall. And then Wednesday night, we have a gorgeous cocktail party and very fun social event, author, artist, meet and greet, beautiful. And then on Thursday, we're doing all these power of presentations. So the power of podcasting, the power of pilgrimage, and the power of streaming video with really amazing guests and hosts. It's really an experience that people are going to benefit from for the whole spectrum of parish and Catholic life. I mean, we want the parish to send the whole team. You know, we don't want just a one-off. We want parish to come as a team and 
think strategy while they're having all these experiences. I'm so glad you said that. That is such a good point. I'm on the website now and I'm just looking at the sponsors and that should tell you a little bit about the caliber of this event. We have Marion Press, Stockbridge, Massachusetts, of course, and and that's where Father Chris A. Lair is associated with. Mary's Meals, Magnus McFarland Barrow is such an incredible testimony of faithfulness and ministry. Had a chance to be with him at the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference. Holy Cross Family Ministries, Awaken Catholic. Catholic. That's Nick Del Torre that you mentioned. We have uh, CMAX TV, Select International Tours, ICMA. I am so excited to see Monastery Icons. I get their catalog. I love Monastery Icons. And tr- is it Triad Media Group? Yes. This is a highly professional video production company that has a heart for doing Catholic projects. And they're coming to network, and they're the ones bringing the Miracle Hunter. So anybody who's seen the Miracle Hunter on EWTN, this guy travels around the world going out and seeing where Mary has done all these amazing miracles and apparitions and stuff. Anyway, he's just going to be there for people to visit with in the TV booth. So that's the kind of thing that it's... It's just going to be great. All of us here, I know that I speak for my listeners and myself, we are Catholic geeks. We not only love our faith, <laughs> our Lord and our Lady, but just the, the beautiful work that so many of our people have done. So it's it's really cool to hear this. And Danielle Bean is going to be there. I'm just going through here. Pete Sock, Anna Nezzo, we, we have Kathy Gilmore. Well, how about that? <laughs> Kathy is going to be there. Uh, Hector Molino, as I mentioned. So um, yeah. Katie Pesha. We have Father Don Calloway. He's going to be doing a keynote. Did we talk about that already? No. And what what is so beautiful is I'm one of the first people that we made arrangements for to be at our event because we wanted it under the patronage of St. Joseph was Father Don Calloway. And we're going to really just invite everybody on that Thursday morning with that big, wonderful breakfast where everybody gathers. That's everybody who's an exhibitor, everybody who's an attendee, everybody gathers together. And he will be the one um, along with Father Chris. Father Chris is going to lead us in sort of a morning prayer. And then Father Don is going to help us really appreciate the steadfastness and the heroic humility of St. Joseph. Amen. And he he knows it because he lives it. Having him on the show, and I think so many of us are familiar with him, not only just in name, but personal experience with our spiritual transformation, those that have made the consecration to St. Joseph and have been really impacted by that devotion, the book, and all that he's done. So very excited. And with, of course, the patron of St. Joseph, the website is... It's catholicmarketing.com. And then you click when you get there onto the event page. And then there's all kinds of little buttons that you can see, the speakers, the schedule, and I'm even still adding a couple more. It's so funny. I'm still adding stuff. And where is geographically, it's Schamburg is by Chicago. Correct. And so we say we're in Chicago, but we're in, it's like the best of both worlds because we're not in downtown Chicago. So nobody has to fight with Chicago traffic or anything. We're in Schaumburg, which is a suburb, very easy to get to, easy to get to from the airport or if anybody's driving, very easy. And it's free parking for anyone who drives. Oh, that is a big deal. I tell you, I stress about that. I know. That is, that's a big deal. And just make sure that you bring plenty of room in your trunk so you can shop and just support all the vendors there too. It's going to be fantastic. God bless you. We just ask Our Lady to cover you in her mantle for St. Joseph to guide you for all of the knowns and unknowns as you do the Lord's work in this 
beautiful event. Again, July 27th through the 29th, Catholic Marketing Network Momentum 21. We hope to see you there. Thank you so much, Kathy Gilmore. Thank you. Thank you again to my guest, Kathy Gilmore. If you can go to CMN, this is the year to be there. And again, I'll be at the Select International Tours booth and also presenting and broadcasting from the venue. So either way, you are coming along either virtually through the show here on the episode or in person, which I hope that would be the preference. Again, you can get the information at catholicmarketing.com. Okay, so what does your nightstand look like? Hopefully it's a little bit more organized than mine because it always just seems to get overloaded with books, but I love to hear what you are reading. And right now, if you were to pop over to Brooks House, you would see on my nightstand, we have uh, the Bible in one year. I'm still doing that, started in January. Also the complete Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. I found an old illustrated version. It's spectacular. That was on Amazon originally for like $100, and it has all of the stories. I got it used for $25. So Gus and I are reading. That's on the nightstand, taking up the most room. It's like a coffee table, big book. And then I'm also reading the memoir of Justice Clarence Thomas. It's called My Grandfather's Son. And I hesitate to recommend that because I'm still not finished with the book. And I don't know if anything weird is going to be in there. And it never fails. When I mention something that I haven't finished reading or watching, it's like they, they throw something in there and it's like, oh, but I really don't think that's going to happen. The reason that I was led to this book is I was helping my son just with source material for a final essay, my son Grant, in high school. And I ran across this spectacular interview. I should link it up for you in the show notes. It is so worth watching. Clarence Thomas at the Library of Congress, and he is being interviewed interviewed about his life and what a life it is and what a lesson we can all take away from how he grew up, where he came from, and how his faith has shaped him. Did you know he was in seminary to be a priest? He left the church for a while, came back stronger than ever, and that really has formed the foundation of who he is. And he talks about that in the book, but also in this interview. And so after that, I had to get the book. It's called My Grandfather's Son. And I'm right now reading that with my son, Garrett. It's one of those where, because we're reading it together, I have to wait until his schedule allows, which usually isn't every night, and I'm dying to read it because it is a can't put it down, riveting, heartbreaking, beautiful, inspirational, true story. Again, it's called My Grandfather's Son. I actually had reached out to my ministry team and said, guys, could we maybe do this as a book club over the summer through the Brooke Taylor Show? Can we create a community and read this because it is one of those books where you want to talk about it. And that's why I love that I'm reading it with my son, Garrett. But I'm telling you, if you're up for it, let me know because I will make it happen. It's such a good book. And if you already write it, let me know what you think. This time of year, too, I'm also in the mode of finding the most inspirational commencement speeches, because even though it's designed for grads, and if you have a senior graduating this year, you know how formative that can be. But all of us with kids in school, I think there should be a recognition that you got through this year. God's providence brought you here, brought you this far. And it's the same kind of technique that I use on pilgrimage. It's a fixed point that allows us to stop in a very fast-moving world and just take stock and be grateful for how far we've come. And Clarence Thomas has an excellent commencement speech from Christendom College. 
You can find it on YouTube. It's from 2018. It's it's the Christendom College Commencement Address by Clarence Thomas. Also, Eugene Scalia, Justice Scalia's son, recently gave a fantastic commencement speech at Steubenville for the grads recently there. So just one of those mom hobbies that I love to do. And I could go on about that all day, but I want to jump into our next guest. Her name is Sherry Bloomquist. The book is called Before Austin Comes, Aesop. Check out our conversation. Several years ago on YouTube, when my kids were little, I started a little segment with my book haul of the week. So you've got on YouTube, you've got influencers and makeup artists. They're doing all of their cosmetic videos and hauls. I had the old library tote bag filled to the brim. And even though I only did like a handful of those videos, they offer a glimpse, I think, into my deep affection for children's literature. And I know that many, many share this love. Now my kids are older. My oldest is 19, but that love has never waned. And so we still read as a family. A constant year-round standing date with my now 15-year-old. We always are reading a book. We finished Twain's version of Joan of Arc, Always Something Next. And I also still have a nine-year-old who seems to be bitten by the bug too. So I was absolutely when I saw a brand new release from Sherry Bloomquist on this topic. And I know that you are going to love the content as well. I'm so excited to bring this to you today. The book is called Before Austin Comes Aesop, The Children's Great Books and How to Experience Them. Her website is onceuponapen.studio. I encourage you to visit so much there to explore and be inspired by. And joining me now to fill our proverbial tote bag back up with the best best when it comes to book is Sherry Bloomquist. Welcome to the show, Sherry. Hi. Thank you so much. I'm here. You are welcome. I, before we even jump in, I need to ask you, what is the correct pronunciation of Aesop? Is it Aesop or Aesop? <laughs> You're the second person to ask me that. <laughs> Who knew? Well, this was Greek. such a burning question. <laughs> I actually listened to an, a, a pronunciation audio clip on the dictionary, and it was almost in between an E and an A. So Aesop. Aesop is, I think, the closest I can come to the uh, pronunciation file. Aesop. I don't even know if I can say it. <laughs> I, I say Aesop because okay. it's easier and it rhymes. <laughs> I own that. Alliteration. <laughs> Thank you for admitting that because I, I have to tell you, I struggle with um, kind of OCD or scrupulosity. And I had made <laughs> it an Instagram video. I did, a, I did a live video and I was talking about your book and I just was excited to welcome you to the program. And afterwards, I thought, I think I just did that video and I mispronounced because I said Aesop and I, <laughs> I couldn't stop obsessing about it. And I thought, here I am talking talking about my love of children's literature, and I didn't even say this classic name correctly. And I ended up deleting the video because I was so, I, oh, you know, no. like obsessive <laughs> about it. So to hear you say <laughs> you don't know for sure either is oh. really awesome. So we appreciate that. <laughs> say ASAP because it sounds better. <laughs> But this is your wheelhouse. So for those that don't know you, you are a freelance writer and teacher, a degree in English education, the Bible. You direct the Denim Beret writing program on your website, which I want to get into once upon a pen. So really, this is your love. Yes, I've been writing since I was in third grade. (laughs) Well, and this is of great value. What you've given us, and I want to get into the pages here of your new book, is that right out of the box, you talk about children's books, they're big on quantity. We have so many, but we're short on quality, I think, really good substance. So for you, what meets your qualifications of a great book? Kind of goes back to um, what how I teach writing. The, the best literature 
is the literature that not only uses language well, but also speaks well to its audience. It touches the audience that it's aiming for. It has a distinctive voice, a rich storyline, but that doesn't mean complicated. You know, some of the best stories are very simple. The, the, the strong voice, uh, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, one reason they're so great is their voices. Beautiful, there's, there's a beauty and a truth to good literature. Um, that doesn't mean that mind candy isn't okay once in a while, but the best literature has that has an element of beauty and truth and a distinctive voice. Which I really think goes along with also what I would qualify as great music or mm-hmm. um, you yes. know great great filmmaking, all of those that go right. hand in hand. You point out in the opening chapter, which I really appreciated, that in terms of interest and development, we are all at different stages of comprehension and that it can really backfire when you force a book or a work on a young child or adult, even young adult, that they mm-hmm. are not ready for. And it was really sweet because you shared your own personal experience of like, I just don't get this book. Mm-hmm. And so I love that you are for the classical approach, but also it's okay if your child isn't ready for a certain book. Right. My philosophy is there. there is a book for everyone. <laughs> there is there is good literature for everyone. I, I was a bookseller for five years. And I saw this time and again when children came to the children's department and I and I helped them find books. You also lay out that every book isn't to be read the same way, maybe perhaps that it can serve a different purpose or function. So you talk about three different types of reading. You note a leisurely type of reading, a book club, which is so much fun because you give us an outline for that, and also scholarly. So can Mm -hmm. you give us a little bit about each one of those three? The leisurely, I I just give, um, I mean, there's one, you can just pick up a book and read it, of course. Right. No pressure and no expectations just to read it as a hobby for fun. But one fun thing to do to make the most out of your leisure reading is to keep a, a reading notebook. You know, you can record what you read and the date you read it, and you can write down your thoughts about it. And over time, you'll have a really wonderful record of where you've been in your reading journey can really impact you as a person and how you develop as a person. So that's one way to make the most out of leisurely. Uh, Then there's the book club-ish, I say, because you don't actually have to have a book club. You could just have one partner, you know, where you have some accountability and you also read with someone where you can discuss books. My mother loves to read and she's often wishing that she's had somebody to talk to about the things she reads. I would like to participate in a book club. I just don't have any time for that. But a book club has a way to just really celebrate books and talk about them and go deeper and think about them in a different way from what you would by yourself, but also with less pressure than if you're studying it for school. And then um, then there's the scholarly adventure where I lay out the basic principles of literature appreciation, uh, you know, how to how to study a book on your own without having to rely on a formal curriculum, because I think parents often feel like they have to go buy this expensive curriculum, and this can be really helpful, don't get me wrong. I mean, sometimes they're exactly what we need, but sometimes we just want to study on our own, and so I lay out uh, a method for doing that in a way that students can follow or parents can um, can use to guide them through a book without having to go to a formal curriculum, especially if there's a book they want to read that there isn't a formal curriculum uh, prepared for. Absolutely. And I really think everything you're saying is for all ages. I mean, and you just you know brought up your mother to that point too, but I was reading, I was trying to read Dante and here as an adult, I, because of the way in which it's written at that time, was 
lost really easily. Well, it turns mm-hmm. out I stumbled upon Longfellow. Longfellow actually was given an assignment to translate Dante, which he oh. lamented, but then he loved later on. He loved it. And so mm-hmm. I ended up finding and reading and loving myself the Longfellow translation of Dante. And so I would kind of lop those in a leisurely, but also a scholarly at the same time. But it was right. so insightful. And this speaks to the, the beautiful rabbit trails that reading takes us on. You find things, especially back, I love historical reading, that you, you didn't even know, like these portals that you get to open up and explore. Mm-hmm. And also through the classical approach, again, which is something that you endorse. You also talk about the sidekick approach. What's the sidekick approach? Well, we have often um, heard of the great books. Um, you know, many of us have heard of the great book canon, the, the Western canon that has been kind of the fount of our of our uh, civilization's thinking for centuries. But there's also been children's uh, children's literature, or literature that children have embraced, I should say, since ancient times. You know, children have always loved stories. It's not something new. The sidekick approach is where we follow that that literature that children have embraced since ancient times, and we focus on that with our children as they are growing and maturing through their through their grade school years. And we focus on that literature so that we lay a really solid foundation for that adult literature that needs to come eventually. You know, they need to have some adult literature when they get into college or maybe um, you know in high upper high school because they have to be prepared for the, some of that those things. But the beauty of the children's classic is that they help lay that foundation for the adult literature because they have profoundly influenced adult literature. We, we often for, um, don't realize, I didn't realize that until I was researching this book, how much the, the, the literature that children have embraced for centuries has influenced adult literature. Now, when I say children's literature, I don't mean literature that has been published for children necessarily. There are many stories like the Iliad, King Arthur, Robin Hood, that were that were originally targeted to adults. Even fairy tales were targeted for adults, but children have embraced them over the centuries. And so I call that children's literature too. So when we do the sidekick approach and we focus on this literature that children have loved for centuries, we are kind of leading them from roots to leaf, from the foundation all the way up to the, the great books of the Western canon. The books we, I think, would all recognize as classics are in here, are in your work that you have before Austin comes Aesop, the children's great books and how to mm-hmm. experience them. And you have the Iliad, the Odyssey, the Chronicles of Narnia, Peter Pan, the Giving Tree, of course, the Giving Tree, Anne of Green Gables, Huckleberry mm. Finn, Little House on the Prairie, Beowulf. so much good literature. such a treasure. We just don't realize how, how, how wonderful it is. But too, what I love that you do, and this is why you have to actually get this book, is you offer age-appropriate translation so that the Iliad is obviously not something that you can, most people pick up at the age of four, you know, but you have these (laughs) translations that are really age-appropriate. So that is fantastic. For example, like Tales of the Odyssey by Mary Pope Osborne, Uh, my son, my kids have read all six of those books of Tales of the Odyssey, not replace the translation. I, you know, that's important the translation is read later, but it does um, immerse those children in the stories that can help them understand more complex literature later because there's so many allusions and references to earlier literature in, in more modern literature. Also, and, to po- poetry. Poetry is so important, and I fear something that that we've yes. lost. Um, oh, I was, yes. And poems really do just bring about this this melodic beauty that's in our soul, kind of like a 
song. So tell us about the poems that you included and why that's important. Poetry has really, it's, it's taken a nosedive and it's been kind of, it's kind of grieved me for some years now as I've watched schools because I've been in the schools quite a lot. But the, the fact is that some of uh, our poets uh, are just so much fun to read and they're um, beautiful in their own right and they're important in their own right. Uh, like Lewis Carroll, he wrote some poems like Jabberwocky that we're mo- many of us are familiar with that have become major classic works. And poetry is being forgotten in a lot of literature courses today, um, but it's a major genre of literature. And I'm, I feel sorry for anybody who misses Eugene Field, you know, uh, Edward Lear, I'm forgetting his first name, Robert Louis Stevenson with The Child's Garden of Verses, just delightful poetry. And then Shel Silverstein, I, I grew up in fourth grade, Shel, Shel Silverstein was all the rage. They're so, they're so funny and so wonderful. And a lot of kids today just aren't getting any poetry at all. And I, I forgot. I'm an advocate for poetry. When you said Eugene Field, I just did a quick search. So he wrote Wink and Blink and a Nod? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, my goodness, because that, yes. is, that is such in a fact, I'm from Colorado. I live in Tennessee right now, but I'm from Colorado where there's a big statue of Lincoln, Lincoln and Nod in the Washington Park in Denver because Eugene Field lived near there. I live, I've read that to my children so many times and it's so much fun to read it and imagine it's just these beautiful, the beautiful lilting rhythms. And, and what we don't realize is that poetry is profoundly important for becoming good writers. It's important for just appreciating good literature. It gives us a sense of language and rhythm and beauty. And um, many poetic devices are used in some of the best prose. Like Tolkien used a lot of poetic devices in his in his literature. It's just beautiful. He sure did. And that also, it's not too late. I was reading, I really like Jim Trelease. He wrote the Read Aloud Handbook back mm-hmm. in like 1979. And it's gone through many different updated yes. versions. But he, I remember him talking about how encountering teenagers who had never heard of David and Goliath or the Pied Piper and it's it's still or even the Wright brothers that that to me is one of the great strengths of picture book I mm-hmm. love picture books especially with beautiful illustrations yes. it just is timeless I don't think that there is a specific age to stop picture books it's okay if you have winkin and blinkin and nod in the basket bathroom of books you know yes. so that if your kids are in there and they don't take their phone I hope not and they, they grab one of those because there is no age limit we oh. all need to recapture that childhood moment of those incredibly wonderful wonderful stories. And so I wanted to ask that too. Do you think that there's a specific age to stop picture books? I would imagine we're both on the same page about this. All I can think is why? Why would you have to stop? I mean, it's it's great if you have kids to read to because you can hide behind the reason, oh, I'm I'm just got to read to my kids, you know, but secretly (laughs) you enjoy them. I liked Are You My Mother until I read it for the hundredth time. (laughs) I liked, you know, I liked reading Wink and Blinkin and Nod and I liked reading, you know, Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. I will come out and admit it and I have no shame. (laughs) Who doesn't love Tasha Tudor, the beautiful illustrations of Tasha Tudor and the charming A is for Annabelle, B is for, oh, I don't remember, but, um, you know, and and, uh, the owl and the pussycat went to sea in a beautiful pea green boat. I mean, I could just, at one time I could recite all the chicka chicka boom boom and, you know, who doesn't love the illustrations of Jan Brett and there's always such a rich choices of beautiful picture books and my philosophy is that we, we may grow up, but we do not grow out of great art. And we forget that children's literature isn't some subpar bridge to adult literature. It's not something we just give our kids because they're too young to understand what we can understand. It's, it's art in its own right. 
it's just simpler, but it's just as beautiful. And we do not need to be embarrassed. I'm not going to say that you're going to have the same experience reading Tale of Peter Rabbit as you are Anna Karenina. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But there's there's something to be gotten even for adults by reading Beatrix Potter's Tale of Peter Rabbit. It's beautiful. It's it's and even the phrases because some of the phrases aren't used. Like we, there were so many times we read the phrase "stuck fast." You know, it was stuck fast to his tail or something. It's so fun. Be- you're able to see the beauty of word appreciation and mm-hmm. and in the beauty of illustrating through sentences and structure and, it, and how really, language has changed over time as oh, well oh yes for sure i mean you can't you read huckleberry finn and you're just going to see that life was different and those really foster conversations and, and that's it also really helps with our understanding of history when we can yes. fill it in with real life experiences, even if they're fiction, if the author's done well, we can still get a sense of that time. Like if you read Anne of Green Gables, you get a pretty good sense of the early 1900s. You know, I I don't think we have to dovetail history study with literature study, but when we do, we can, it's like reading folklore. We get a, we get a, image of uh, history. Uh, we go deeper into that history. Uh, and it's important. It's really important to know where we've been. So it recognizes our vices as well as our virtues, our, our failures as well as our victories. This isn't about patting ourselves on the back all the time, but to understand ourselves and to participate in that great conversation of the ages by by letting ourselves enrich ourselves with all the great ideas and beauty that, but that includes children's literature too. When you say that, I can't help but draw that line to what we're seeing in our can- cancel culture between trying to cancel Dr. Seuss and, and some mm-hmm. of the old classics. That really makes yeah. my head want to explode, but I'm not going to go down that road. I will say <laughs> though. Is it? <laughs> I have plenty to say myself. <laughs> but this is what I love is you've created something that. It's kind of the answer to that, this We Lit Guide, and it takes us into, I think, such a needed component tool of helping arm parents with what they should be aware of in books and and how to process that. Tell us a little bit about the We Lit Guide. Um, Well, the title is um, on the page is What's in It? The Concerned Parents Guide to Young Adult Literature. This is a free resource, like as in free, no ads, no anything. I do it because um, because I feel compelled to reveal what the YA industry has done to our children, is doing to our children. Because what I do is I, I and volunteers, uh, I've had bred a variety of young adult literature, um, as well as some upper middle grade literature that preteens would be interested in. And we, we, we reviewed them for controversial content or, or mature content, such as sex, um, swearing, drugs, alcohol, violence, and abuse, and things that concern parents and that some parents don't want their kids to be reading, but they want their kids to have fun reading. They don't have to always read the classics. You know, the classics are wonderful, but remember, every classic was once contemporary. <laughs> you know, there's still right. good literature being written now. And so we don't want to throw out that because we're afraid of contemporary literature. But at the same time, we need to know what's in these books because some of them are really awful. Like they're good writing. They are promoting things that would horrify parents. So what these reviews do is they tell parents what is in these books, like what kind of sex and romance and swearing and stuff. And so parents can use that to help their kids find good contemporary literature and stay away from the stuff that would not be worth reading. And there's some really good contemporary literature, but um, I, right. I'm thinking of one book um, that I read that was on this on this jacket it was all about a black girl and a white girl developing a good friendship. 
and it sounded really good and important, but not until you read it do you realize it's a it's strongly LGBTQ, and mm-hmm. there's no indication of that on the book jacket. It just sounds like a really good civil rights era story right. about black and white coming together and making friends. So it was like, this is why I'm doing these reviews, because parents have got to know before they let their kids see it. You can't just go by a cover. This is so, so important. We are all so overwhelmed. And I think there's a scarcity of resources that really understand the importance of securing that moral foundation and wanting to point our kids to the highest and best. Again, going back to the definition of classical books. So this is so needed. And thank you again. So the website is com. correct? Yes. And I would like to make one more comment, if that's okay. Yeah. Remember that some of the contemporary literature uh, will someday be classics. And one of that parents need to know is that that even middle grade, you can't really trust anymore with the publishers. I'm thinking specifically of Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy, which was published for middle grade readers. And I was hand selling this book in Barnes & Noble when I used to work there. Then I read it. And it is one of the most atheistic, most anti-Christian, not, not, not just unchristian, but anti-Christian books to ever be published. And there's no indication of this. That's maybe one reason I started this book review website. But even really good, well-written literature like Philip Pullman's trilogy can be very, very dangerous to our youth. Parents need to know, they need to be, but it is, is very dangerous. Sherry, so it's Philip Pullman. What did you say the series was called? His Dark Materials, The Golden okay. Compass, The Amber Spyglass, oh, and The Subtle Knife. Yeah. And it will be an influential book over time. But I have a note, parents extremely cautioned. I do not recommend anybody read this book who's a Catholic or, or any kind of Christian. But we have to recognize that you cannot just say this is a good piece of literature. It's fine to read. It's important to be careful. The book is called Before Austin Comes Aesop, or Aesop, however you'd like to pronounce it. (laughs) We need a Greek expert on here. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know if they would know. I I actually did some research. I'm looking at this um, little question board, and there there was like a big debate about it. So who knows? But I love it. And it's uh, the children's great books and how to experience them. This is from Ignatius, and the book is out now and available for everybody. Is that right, Sherry? Yes. And you do so much. God bless you for all of the ways that you inspire a love of reading and writing. Can you just tell us a little bit about your writing program and how we can connect with you online? I'm a freelance teacher. I have been for many years um, teaching for homeschool tutorials and and, uh, teaching online just privately. My website is onceuponapen.studio. I've written the Denim Beret Writing Program the Denim Beret Writing Program. I think I said it too fast. It's a three-level writing program that's designed for middle school and lower high school. It's meant to prepare students for the rigors of upper high school and college. I teach writing um, much the way writers approach writing. So the way I and my my peers down and our habits are the way we come to writing. I teach from that uh, approach so that students develop habits similar to what professional writers have, like keeping a writing notebook and revise, 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 (laughs) many, many of those skills. So that's the focus of my writing program. And it focuses on the six traits of excellent writing, which are audience, purpose, tone, beauty, truth, and voice, Uh, ultimately pushes students toward that, um, appreciation of that, and also various writing forms like persuasive, argumentative. So you can read about it more on my website. I will also, I will link that up in our show notes as well. All of the websites that, that we 
talked about. I'm sorry, I'm trying to I'm trying to pull it up as we're talking, but the Denim Beret writing program, as well as your website, I'll also link up to the book as well. So everything that we talked about, there'll be a little resource list on the podcast. Once upon a pen dot studio is yes. the main website, right? Yes. Okay. God bless you. Thank you for your work. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Sherry Bloomquist. And if you could not tell, I get so excited about that topic. I was kind of cracking up as I was going back over and re-listening and and editing a few points here in the post-production because it's so much fun to talk about children's literature and getting lost in good books. So I really hope that came through. I hope that you're blessed and inspired as well. And again, it's ageless, which is what I love too. So here we are. Thank you, thank you for journeying another season with The Brooke Taylor Show for being here, especially thanks to my producer, Mark Cumming from Coming Home Studio for his dynamic skills and quick work. I say that all the time because it's the truth and the expertise that he has. So I'm so thankful for for Mark. A big thank you to AM1260 The Rock in Cleveland for carrying The Brooke Taylor Show. Looking forward to coming back again in the fall. But please don't be a stranger. Please connect. I am on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. Many of the episodes in this past season have been posted on my YouTube channel. I also have a newsletter and you can sign up for that on my website, which is brooktaylor.us. I would love to come to your parish. 2020 was the busiest year I had in terms of bookings and going all across the country to speak. And of course, COVID happened and it's been slow to pick back up, but we need it. We need church missions. We need renewal and evangelization. So if you are looking for a speaker, please remember me. Again, it's brooktaylor.us. And of course, I'll be back over the summer. I'm saying one episode a month. It could be more than that, depending on what's going on. But I just want to thank you for your continued support of the show. It's fitting that as I record this, we are observing the Feast of Pentecost, and that has always been my prayer. Come Holy Spirit, enkindle the hearts of the faithful and renew the face of the earth. For each guest, each prayer, each message, and go out to be planted like a seed in the hearts of all who hear this humble little show, and that in some way it will awaken us to a deeper relationship with our Lord, our Lady, and our beautiful church. And thank you for being a part of that. You can reach out to me anytime via email, thebrooktaylorshow at gmail.com. And of course, again, all the platforms on social media. God bless you. Pray your rosary, friends. And until next time, peace and love.